you have a copy of God's Word, you can open it up or turn it on. Psalm chapter 23 is where we're going to be. Uh, still journeying through this chapter in this book uh, together. A couple more weeks we'll be in here. Psalm 23. And uh, my name is Aaron. I serve as the teaching pastor here. And if you will stand with me in honor of reading God's Word, one of our values is that we are for the gospel, meaning not only do we celebrate what Jesus did on the cross, but we also elevate and celebrate this book, not to be worshipped, but in this book is where we encounter our Creator. And so Psalm 23, we're going to start in the second half of verse 3 and read through verse 4. And God's Word says this, That He leads me along the right paths for His namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this day, for this time, God, to gather as your people around your word in your house. And Jesus, I pray now as we continue journeying through this chapter, uh, God, continue to open our eyes uh, to, to see your word for what it means. God, give us ears to hear today, hearts to receive, hands and feet to live out your truth, God, so that we could leave here closer to Jesus than when we arrived. We pray in everything we say and do that Jesus is elevated above all. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to read this passage. I'm just reminded of the simple statement that nobody expects to have dark days. I doubt anybody on a given week, month, year, you wake up and you think to yourself, you know what, I just hope that this is the worst day of my life. Nobody anticipates having dark days. And when I was reading this passage, I was reminded of about seven years ago in my life where we experienced one of the darkest seasons that we've ever had to walk through as a family. It was a scary and it was a dark day. My wife was about eight months pregnant. Uh, we were making our rounds. It was a Friday morning, making our rounds to some of her favorite restaurants in the Dayton area. It's one of the perks of having a pregnant wife is how much fast food and stuff you get to eat. I ate more Tex-Mex and cupcakes in that you know, eight months than I have at any point in my life. I loved it. And we were making our rounds on that Friday morning, and uh, before we were going out for lunch, we, she had a doctor's appointment that we had to go to. And we walked into the doctor's office. Everything seemed fairly normal. Everybody was feeling fine. And after the doctor came in and ran a couple tests, did a little bit of a checkup, she came back in and she could tell by the look on her face that something was wrong. And she came back into that room and she said, I don't want to alarm you, which alarmed me. I don't want to alarm you, she said, but I need you guys to get in your car right now and head directly to the hospital. Hospital was about a half mile away. She said, the nurses and doctors are going to meet you at the front door. Um, something's wrong. Now, I'm not an expert, I've never been to medical school, but I'm pretty sure that if they tell you that the doctors are going to meet you at the door, that something is really bad. And I remember walking into that hospital, trying to keep my composure in front of my wife, and walking in and finding out that six weeks early, which may not seem like a big deal to you, but me as a father, six weeks early, my daughter was going to be born. And friends, it's amazing how quickly what was going to be such a sunny day full of Tex-Mex and cupcakes can quickly turn to what was one of the darkest couple weeks of my, my life. We met those doctors at the door. My daughter, a few hours later, was born. Thankfully, she was in very good care, back and forth to the hospital for several weeks, commuting from Lebanon up to Dayton, uh, visiting her. Insert your story. It doesn't matter what it is. Maybe you have worse stories than I actually do. But the truth behind Psalm 23 is I don't think any of us 
wakes up each morning expecting to have a dark day. And if we're truly honest, most of us would prefer just to skate through life and have a pretty uneventful existence and then peacefully drift off to heaven in our sleep. That's what we would prefer, but things just don't tend to work out that way. We don't anticipate the dark days, but they do happen. And maybe you're living in the middle of one of them right now. One of the darkest seasons of your life. Here in Psalm chapter 23, where we're picking up in, in verse 3, where we're met where the shepherd is leading the sheep on this right path. But what we find here as we head into verse 4, and listen to this that the right path that God may lead me on will also include the dark valley. The right path that God's going to lead me on as one of his children, one of his sheep, is going to include the dark valley. And we've seen over and over in this psalm in just these first few verses that the role of the shepherd is to take the sheep where they need to go, not necessarily where they naturally want to go. And there's a difference there because we've learned that When a sheep is left to its own will, a sheep will often wander into disaster. And they need the care of a good shepherd to take them where they need to go, not where they want to go. It's interesting, too, here in Psalm 23, we've reached kind of the halfway point in this passage. And in this halfway point, we see a pretty monumental shift occur in the way that David is writing here. You see, the the first few weeks that we've been in this, we've seen David really writing about his shepherd. Right? He says things like, he lets me do this. He leads me this direction. He renews me in this way. But now at the halfway point in Psalm 23, David takes a shift in these verses, and he's not talking about his shepherd anymore. Instead, he's talking to his shepherd. I find that interesting because now when the darkest valley is introduced, it goes from a conversation about to a conversation with the shepherd. I think that's pretty notable for us to know because when we get those dark valleys, I don't want to just know about God. I want to be in his presence, having a conversation with him, experiencing him and knowing him on a deeper level because that's what I need in those dark valleys. And I want us to see three things real quick this morning here in Psalm 23, the second part of verse three into verse four that I think are so important. Let's first off talk about the right path that the shepherd leads us on. Look at verse three again. It says, he leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. What can we learn from that? First is this, sheep are traditionally creatures of habit. That's going to make sense in a second. If you talk to shepherds or you read things on on shepherding, you'll find that sheep are traditionally creatures of habit. Without the care of a shepherd, what a sheep will tend to do, from what I've read and understand, is that sheep will traditionally walk the same paths most days. Out in the pasture, they'll traditionally follow the exact same route and they'll graze from the exact same grass over and over and over. They actually say, shepherds say, that if you see a herd of sheep that has not been under the care of a good shepherd, that you can actually go in that pasture and you'll see ruts in the ground where those sheep have just continued to follow the exact same path every day. And they've walked it so much that they've created ruts that they just continue to follow. They say also that those sheep will just continue to graze from the exact same grass. And what they'll do is they'll graze on that grass, then they'll come back later, they'll continue to eat, continue to eat, and they'll eat that grass all the way down to its root system into the dirt, getting to the point where the grass is unable to grow and the pasture actually dies. So what does a good shepherd do? 
That's under the care of a bad shepherd. What would a good shepherd do? What does a good shepherd do? A good shepherd does the opposite. A good shepherd keeps his sheep on the move. A good shepherd rotates pastures with his sheep. He'll take the sheep to places they have not grazed yet. He'll take these sheep on different routes so that they don't put all these ruts into the pasture. A good shepherd actually has, hear this, a predetermined plan of action on where he wants his sheep to go each and every single day. Making sure that that's exactly what the sheep needs so that it doesn't destroy or ruin the pasture. What's the parallel for us? Man, I hope you saw that right there. Isaiah 53, verse 6. Listen to this. It says, We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. Friends, because we're like these sheep that David is writing about here in Psalm 23, we've gone astray in our sin, walked away from our shepherd. We need the care of a good and loving shepherd to provide us the direction that we so desperately need. Why? Because our natural inclination is towards the exact same habits that lead to the exact same destruction, and we have to break those things. Sadly, the moral compass of the human heart leads towards destruction. Did you know that? The moral compass of the human heart leads to destruction. And what we end up doing is we convince ourselves that what we're doing is right and it's good and it's what we should be doing, but it just leads to destruction over and over and over. Turn on the news, read a newspaper, jump on Twitter, hop on Facebook, you'll see it. In the name of, quote, right, we're leading ourselves to destruction, just following these same paths and destroying things along our way. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 16, verse 25, that there's a way that seems right to a person, but what happens? In the end, it leads to death. Which is why for the Jesus follower, we make the decision to step out of that rut, to head into new pastures, and to follow our shepherd to where he wants us to go. You see, the call of a follower of Jesus is to forsake my will, to forsake my plans, and to forsake my directions. For the will, direction, and plan of my shepherd. That's what God is calling us to do. Check this out. I think this is so neat. Mark 8, verse 34. Jesus said, calling to the crowds with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anybody wants to follow after me, here it is, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. When you and I chose to become followers of Jesus, if you've made that decision at that, this point in time, I was 15 years old. The Bible says in Romans 10 that I I submit my life to him and I make him Lord over me. Now we've known, maybe you've heard this before, that that word Lord, when I submit myself under the care and the loving care of this shepherd named Jesus, the word Lord we often say means master. Right? So instead of me being the master of my life, Jesus becomes the master of my life. I found a neat definition this week. That the word master actually means the one who has deciding power over me. Wow. That when I make Jesus the Lord of my life, what I'm telling him is I want you, Jesus, to have deciding power over my life. That as a Jesus follower, Jesus, I'm submitting myself to walk on the right paths that you have laid out before me. Ephesians 2.10 talks about that. I'm submitting myself to that. But this is the part we don't like. Included in the right path is the dark valley. Let's talk about that for a second. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I will fear no danger. I don't want to spend a lot of time. Sometimes we hear messages on this. We're like, oh, this was actually such and such valley in such and such location, and it was dark, and there were criminals and robbers and all these crazy things. I don't think we need to do that this morning. 
Because I think without me defining where or what this was, you've already experienced it. You don't need to know that this was some pasture on a hillside in Israel. Because you've probably lived in this valley or are living in this valley right now. We all get what the darkest valley is. But for the sheep, watch this. For the sheep, for that shepherd to rotate them between different pastures, what would have to happen is he'd have to take them on different journeys. Obviously, some of these pastures would be down in these valleys. Some would be high on these hills. But that shepherd would take them on all these predetermined routes. And sometimes it was going to be an easy journey to get there, but often there would be treacherous portions where those sheep would have to follow the shepherd to ensure that they got safe passage to their destination. And friends, if we really want to grow in our walk with Jesus and deepen our faith in Him, we need to learn not only to walk with Him on the mountaintops, but also anticipate, expect, and journey through the valleys well as Jesus' followers. We need to learn to be fearless in the valleys. Look at what David says there. Even when I go through the darkest valley, what does he say? I fear no danger. Nothing. David says, I'm fearless in the valley. There's an old saying that says you're either going into a storm, you're in the middle of the storm, or you've just headed out of a storm. It's part of who we are. But what are the tools to fearlessness so that when these times come... That we walk through them, we walk through the storm, we walk through the valley in absolute fearlessness. Two things, man. These are so cool, and I hope you lean into these and you hear these this morning. David says two things here, the rod and the staff. Look at verse, uh, the second half of verse 4. He says, for you're with me. That's important. We're going to get there in a second. But your rod and your staff, what do they do? They comfort me. They make me fearless. I'm comforted in the valley, and I'm fearless because you have a rod and you have a staff, and you are my shepherd. It's interesting, those two tools. I want to explain those real quick. The rod is an interesting tool for a shepherd. And in fact, until this week, I had no clue what this thing was. Check this out. Typically, when I take, think of a shepherd, I'm sure you do this too. I think of a relatively tall guy with long white hair. He's got a really long beard. Um, he's wearing some sort of a tunic sitting on a rock with a big like shepherd's crook somewhere in the middle of a pasture. I've seen too many movies or Lord of the Rings. I'm not sure. That's what we typically think of when we think of a shepherd. But what was this rod that a shepherd had? A rod was actually cut out. If you imagine a a small tree here, a shepherd would take and they would cut out a portion of that root system that was headed into the ground and they would take that thing off and they'd carve this thing almost to form like a club. You know, a little club, like like the Flintstones type club that, that, what's that guy's name? Uh, Yeah, Bam Bam, would carry around. Think of it like that. He's got this little club in his hand, the shepherd that he'd carry around. But here's what's interesting about this. For the shepherd, this was a tool of power and a tool of authority. This meant that the shepherd meant business. So for example, imagine for a second that they were on that journey heading to a new pasture and you have one of those sheep that we talked about last week that moseyed off and began drinking from a puddle on the side of the road. What would that shepherd do? He'd take that little club, walk over to the sheep and go, pop him on the head and then guide him back this direction. And then they'd go on that journey, and that sheep's wanting pop him on the head. And he'd guide that sheep back to where he needed to go. They would take that little club, that rod, just to lightly correct the sheep. It was also used as a tool of what I call the don't mess with my sheep weapon. So if they were out in a pasture, and perhaps there was a lion, perhaps there was something else that was coming that was threatening the sheep, These shepherds were skilled that they could take these little clubs from several yards away, take those things behind their head, and just launch that club, and man, take out a lion like that. He would just knock them out. Now, think about this for a second. I thought this was so neat. 
Exodus chapter 4. Moses is going to free the people of Israel. God called Moses to this. If you're familiar with this story, leading the nation of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. Moses, what was his vocation? He was a shepherd. He tells God, I don't feel up to the task to do this. Exodus 4, watch this. Moses answered, he's talking to God. What if they won't believe me? What if they will not obey me? But, but say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord asked him. All right, so Moses is standing there having a conversation with God. He says, Moses, what is in your hand? Now, my Bible says a staff. I don't think that's right. Because more times in the Old Testament, the word that we translate staff here is actually translated rod, club. Why? Because this was a symbol of power and authority. Moses takes that rod before Pharaoh. He throws it down before him. And what does it turn into? A snake. For Moses, I don't think the big deal was that the thing turned into the snake. I think God was reminding Moses, hey, here's your symbol of power and authority that I'm going with you. You have the power and you have the authority that I have to go before Pharaoh and declare that those people need to be free. I thought that was pretty cool. I think Moses is like walking up to Pharaoh with a big stick and like, let my people go. It's not that cool. I think Moses comes walking in with a club over his shoulder. and He says, hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. I think, okay, yeah, I'll do that. I love that. Now, what is the New Testament equivalent for us? This is where it matters. What does God use that's similar to a club to guide us as his sheep? Friends, it's the word of God. That's our club. Think about this. First off, the shepherd uses that club for what? Discipline. The sheep wander, pop them on the head. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is living, it's effective, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates as far as to separate the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4, verse 12. Friends, there's going to be times when you and I are walking in the valley of the shadow of death where we begin to question God. Lord, why am I here? Why is this happening? What did I do to deserve this? How do I get out? Why, why, why? And then the Lord so graciously takes his word, pops us on the head. And I read passages like Proverbs 3 that remind me that I don't need to trust my own way, but acknowledge his way, that it's bigger than mine. I read passages like John 3 that remind me that the God of the universe loves me so much that he sent his son to die for me, and that's kind of a big deal. I remind myself of passages like Hebrews 4 that says that Jesus experienced everything that I did in this life, and because he's experienced it, he knows exactly what I'm going through. This is nothing new to him. I read passages like Romans 5 that says, my God is for me, and if he's for me, who can be against me? I read passages like Ephesians 1 that say, I'm called by God to make a difference in this world for him. So yeah, I may be in the valley, but the Lord so graciously will then take his word, that little rod, and he'll bump me on the head and go, hey, I know what I'm doing. Just trust me. Keep on the path. Keep on the path. We've got this. We're going to get there together. Watch this as well. How's the word of God, that rod, just like that don't mess with me weapon? Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is on the front end of his public ministry. He goes into the uh, desert, into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. No food or water. Talk about a valley to walk through. I've seen some of y'all, when church goes a little bit late and you're late to lunch and how hangry you get. Imagine going 40 days without food or water. It's incredible. The devil comes to Jesus, begins to tempt him. Hear this. Did you know that you are most susceptible to the temptation of the devil in your darkest days? You need to be on guard in your darkest days more than you do in your good days. Because in the dark days are where we're willing to give up a lot more ground. 
hear that? But what scripture, what, what, is, what does Jesus do in the midst of being tempted by the devil, when the devil's pressing in on him? Look at this, Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. The tempter, that Satan, approached Jesus and said, If you're the Son of God, tell the stones to become bread. And what does Jesus say? It is written. When the devil tempts Jesus, do you know how powerful the statement, it is written, is? Friends, when we get in those valleys, and when the devil or even your own mind starts hurling these thoughts towards you, starts hurling all these things at you saying, give up, you're not worth it, you deserve this, you got yourself here, you know what we do? We hurl the rod back at the devil. And we take the word of God and we throw it right back at him. And we say, no, no, no. Ephesians 1 says that I'm called by God. No, no, no. Romans 5 says that God is for me. John 3 says that Jesus loves me unconditionally. Proverbs 3 says that I don't need to trust my way or my path, but I trust him. And friends, that's how in the valley we learn to find comfort. Don't run from the shepherd in the valley. Press into him through the word of God. My goodness. I'm so passionate about that. Let's talk about the staff for a second. Traditionally, we think of that staff, we think of the long, curvy stick. You're right. That's what shepherds would traditionally use. It was for two purposes for the shepherd. One purpose was for closeness, to draw the sheep in. The other was for direction. You see, if that sheep began to wander and maybe the rod didn't actually work when he bumped him on the head, what the shepherd would do is he'd take that long stick and he'd take it out around that sheep and draw him back in to two places, into the presence of the shepherd, but also in the community of the sheep. Woo, we're going to get somewhere here. He'd draw him back into the presence of the shepherd and the community of the sheep. Now, also, it was meant for direction. Sheep wanders, what's he do? He takes that staff out, just, just coaxes him back over. Come on, stay this direction. Stay with me. What's the equivalent for you and I? Spirit of God. You see, the rod is the word of God. The staff is the spirit of God. And just like the, that staff would draw those sheep together when they were on that long journey, so the, sheep, so the shepherd does for the body of Christ. Ephesians 4. There's one body, one spirit. And guess what? You're called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and a Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in all. What does that mean? Y'all, we're connected if we're following Jesus. That's what it means. It means... Woo. You know what links us together in this church? You know what links us together? It's not the preaching, because I heard that's mediocre. All right? It's not the worship music, because we've been trying to replace Joe for two years. I'm just teasing. I'm sorry, Joe. There, that's not what draws us together. We come from different backgrounds. We live in different places. We have different vocations. Our families look different. What draws us together as one in this room, as a church? It's the Spirit of God. And when we're in those dark valleys, what do we often tend to do? We separate ourselves. We become recluse. We wallow in our own self-pity. Yet the Spirit of God, and I know you've experienced this, coaxes you back into the family of God. Why? Because that's where you find comfort. We need each other. And the shepherd lovingly will take that staff and say, you know what? I'm not going to let you wander over there. You're going to stay with the rest of the sheep, man. I'm not going to let you do that. You're going to stay with us. 
Friends, I'm telling you, if you're in a dark valley right now or when you head into one because you will, the worst thing you can do as a Jesus follower is go it on your own. That's when you're susceptible to attacks, temptations, and somebody taking you out. You know where you find safety? In the flock. Together. You let the other sheep surround you. You let the other sheep lift your arms up. You let the other sheep protect you. You let the other sheep walk with you. Where? In the presence of our shepherd. Together. Let's talk about one more thing here. John 16, verse 13. The shepherd not only draws us, or the spirit not only draws us together, but the spirit also gives us the direction that we so desperately need. John 16, 13 says that when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth, for he won't speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you what is to come. Sometimes the only thing that you have when it's pitch black around you is the voice of God to follow. You thought about that? Maybe you've played that game before when you were a kid and they blindfolded you and you had to listen to somebody else's voice to get to your destination. That's what it's like being in the valley often. I can't see around me, so I simply trust the voice of God to guide me through His Spirit. Though I know I'm going in the right direction, even though everything around me seems chaotic, I follow him. But in the midst of both of these, friends, as we close, listen to this. Where are the rod and the staff held? In the hands of a shepherd. Notice what what David says here. I fear no danger. First, why? Because you're with me. Then what? It's your rod and staff that come from me. We keep seeing this in every single verse of Psalm 23. That the peace we long for, the comfort we long for, everything that we long for in our spirits, that void that we have as human beings, is only found in the presence of the shepherd. And the darkest valley is no different. I can't do it on my own. I do it in the presence of my shepherd. That's the key. So friends, remember, the dark valley, it's going to come. If you're not in it now, trust me, it'll be here pretty soon. If you're in the midst of it, trust me, it's going to end and then you're going to go into another one. That's just the journey that we go on. But remember, we have the tools, the Word of God and the Spirit of God, the rod and the staff to comfort us and walk through the valleys with confident boldness, remembering we're in the presence of our shepherd. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much again for this day, for your Word, God, for your Spirit. God, I pray that, Lord, we would find comfort in this passage today. God, that if we're in the midst of a valley, Lord, which I know some of us are walking through those seasons right now, that, God, we'd run to your word, we'd run to your spirit, God, and that's where we find comfort. And that, God, maybe these just become another uh, tool on our tool belt, God, so that as we head into that next season, Lord, when that valley does show up, because we know that it will, God, that we're ready to pull these things out, to confidently walk and fearlessly walk through that season of life. God, I pray that your word would provide comfort to your people today. Now, God, as we sing, I pray that you would tune your ear from heaven, God, that you'd lean down from your throne to hear our praises. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Friends, let's stand together as we sing.